Reality is also healthy, wholesome love and romance. It's courage, adventure, inspiration, and heroism. This year, some tasteful filmmakers have rediscovered that fact. And I am delighted for one. And we are all of us enriched because of it. The winner is Chariots of Fire. Hello and welcome to Talking Oscars, and uh, uh, the pun, uh, 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 the the reins of this podcast network is rested upon the shoulders of these chariots of fire. <laughs> yeah, this works. This works. That totally. was more of a reach than I mean, you normally done. Oh, oh no! Trust me, I've I've done worse. I've done worse. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've done worse in my life. Anyway, so. Uh, I mean, this is a podcast where we talk, where we take, wait, actually, let me, uh, I, I usually, I let the guests do it, but because this is a returning guest, there's a pickle, should I, because, so Colin, do you want to introduce yourself first? Sure, my name is Colin, um, I picked Chariots of Fire, so I subjected Aziz to this movie, and, Right, so uh, do you want to explain the concept of the podcast first? Sure, uh, normally we, we select a, uh, oscar best picture winner and uh we sit down and we discuss it and see if it holds up over time and we talk about the other movies that were nominated that year and how well they hold up exactly exactamendo and is there a specific reason why you chose chariots of fire um so it's kind of again like my last time I, i'm picking all these old movies based upon uh my my dad kind of telling me about these movies um he told me <clears throat> when he was a younger man, he was backpacking in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, and he came down from the mountains, and uh, they were having a big, huge celebration for uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark being in a movie or a theater for a whole year. It was it had been continuously for a whole year, and I was like, "Wow, that movie must be amazing!" And then he showed it to me, and I was like, "This movie is amazing." And that was before I even knew about the Oscars. And then later on, when I knew about the Oscars, I was like, well, surely Raiders lost Ark 1. And then I found out it didn't. And I was curious about what movie beat it. Right, yeah. No, I'm in the unique position. Usually I'm in the unique position of trying to gauge movies way beyond their prime. You know, everybody as a nerd, everybody expected me to like Star Wars. I don't. Um, but for, for me, I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it was a great throwback to... All these pulp, uh, is uh, is it pulp action? Is that what they're calling it from the yeah. from the thirties? Yeah, or, or yeah, or you call like a like a dime cinema type film. Um, you know, my dad's my dad's my dad's actually old enough to remember like the original Flash Gordons and the, and those type of things where you go to the cinema, you pay uh, a nickel or a dime, and you'd sit there and you'd watch an episode of of that show. Um, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is based upon that that type of uh, 
cinema just as much as Star Wars is. Yeah, uh, I love. I really like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't love it as much as like people put it in their top ten movies of all time. I think I have to be like I have to grow up with it to like it that much. But I really liked it. I thought it was well made. I think it was a great throwback. Steven Spielberg, like it, this is the perfect foray for him. Um, it's like for it's like him. It's it, it, Steven Spielberg is known for his sentimentality, like his genuine sentimentality, and this feels like up his alley. This is his Ed Wood, I guess. Uh, like try comparing it to another filmmaker where he grew up loving mm-hmm. Edward movies and he's trying and it's uh, people argue that it's his best movie. I don't think this is Steven Spielberg's best movie. That honor goes to Schindler's List. Yeah, and I would not. Private Ryan. I wouldn't say it's his best movie, but I would say it's one of his most fun. What do you think of our Oscar winner, Chariots of Fire? I think that opening scene, that opening iconic scene with them running along the beach, with the the super synthy piano music in the background you can watch that scene and then you can just stop watching the movie right there like that is all you need <laughs> to see harsh. out of this entire film um it, it is harsh but this film is 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 not good it is also i think patient zero when it comes to 80s tropes um i think this is the film that like defines all of the 80s stuff that comes after it the super duper 80s stuff I mean, we're talking about a film that literally has, like, multiple workout monta- montages, you know, that, like, famous 80s Mo- cinema Multiple? Trope. Did you watch the same movie? It doesn't have freaking mo- training montages. It has two. It has two, training, tra- yeah, two but, training montages. Yeah, but that's that's one of my problems with the movie is that it's about the Olympics. Yeah. And then almost more than half the movie, they talk about freaking, like, you know, their daily lives. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, you make them... <laughs> Like, you make them so uninteresting. They're literally like, I'm a Jew, and I overcame my Jewness. And it's like, what? Yeah, it's... I mean, it, there is... Like, there's an intention for them to be like, look at this guy dealing with discrimination and dealing with prejudice and overcoming that. But it, it really fades into the background. And, and, the, and, like, if you're not really looking for it, you can miss some of the digs that are aimed at him. And you're like, I wait, I didn't get that. Um, but I, I, I really feel like, you know, you have the '80s trope of you have like you have a training montage with him, and then you have a team of bad guys show up, you know, and it's like, look at how awesome these bad guys are, you know, and they're and they're they're working out and they're showing how good they are at running and doing all this stuff. I mean, it just happens. It's the U.S. men's Olympic team for that for that Olympics. But like they're the the stereotypical like look at these guys and they got professional trainers and and like all this training montage of like look at how good they are and we're gonna beat them with you know just like pure gumption and spirit instead of all this science that they're using you know like it's it is it is 80s as hell i mean you have random uh slow-mo replays of like all the races i don't I, didn't, right. I really did not understand that choice where it's like, here's the race at regular speed, and now we're going to show the whole, like, you already know the result of the race, and now we're going to show it all again in slow motion with, like, cutaways to the actor, like, remembering, I don't know, and emoting what he felt while he was running. It was a really right, weird, yeah. really weird directional no, choice. I, no, I don't and understand it's, and it. It's- one of the things that pissed me off is that like this lowest moment supposed to be you know, losing in the 400 meter march but yeah. it doesn't show it, it wasn't 
uh, you know, highlighted in the movie enough. I actually, because that loss was put in the background of the church, uh, in the church speech at the uh, hour and 45 minute mark. And honestly, because I'm like, wait, why, why, why is this scene important? And then I Google, it turns out it was his loss. And I'm like, you put the lowest moment of our hero as a background for some random dumb speech? Well, Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? And it, it's not even clear that it's not even clear that like they have I don't, I don't know they have two separate heroes and they're, they're supposed to build towards like this tension between them about who's the faster runner and then you 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 have one guy lose to, to, to the other guy you know you have the Scotsman win and like I didn't feel any emotional impact over the Scotsman winning because I did not feel like these two guys were rivals in any way, shape, or form. And I didn't feel like there was any, you know, there were no stakes in that race. And then they're like, okay, now they're going to go to the Olympics and they're going to race. And now, like, there's actually, there could be stakes here. And you're talking up about how fast the Americans are and how great the Americans are. And then it's like, well, then this guy's not going to run because of his religious beliefs. And like again, that again, that should have been like maybe a focal point of the movie, but it, I felt like they kind of glossed over it a lot. And then they're just like, "Oh, he's going to run the four hundred meter instead." And then your other hero is going to run the hundred meter. And now it's again, it, now we're again in, in two separate movies. It was like you had one movie of the Scotsman, and you have one movie of the Jewish guy, and then they briefly intersect at one race, and then they kind of separate and go off and have separate movies again. And right. Um, I maybe we're at the ten minute mark. We didn't uh, really explain what the mo actual like. I, usually, I think we have a problem that we're talking about the movie and forget that a lot of people maybe didn't watch the movie. So I want to summarize it in a minute or two. Sorry for anybody who's Go listening. Ahead. Yeah, the movie is about uh, what's it called? The 1924 Olympics and how it was a big deal that England won, and like it was like uh, I think uh, a, a high point for English uh, runners, I guess. And that's the story. It's literally, and, and, and there's a Scottish guy that also runs. That's literally the story. L literally is, oh, it's about, it's set in the in 1924 Olympics and people win. And that's the uh, back, backdrop of the story. So it's also supposed to be kind of like a, 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 like a look at, I don't know how people who are religious deal with different um, and overcome different obstacles in their life. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm with the, the screenwriter. I'm with the screenwriter, but it's like when you make that fucking plot three fourths of the fucking movie instead of only just the fourth act, I wouldn't be with you. But if I if we didn't go to the Olympics until the hour forty minute of the fucking movie, I, I'm gonna be pissed. It's like this movie is ah this yeah the, the structure takes, of the movie just pisses me off. It takes forever to get to where it's going, and it just. Like like I said, it's 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 really boring. <laughs> it's probably its greatest call like flaw is like you take forever to get everywhere, and at the same time you have two separate um you, you have two separate movies going on. Like I really don't feel like these two characters have anything in common. There's no there's no like interaction between the two really, and right, so. No, um and the movie did one of the most egregious things that I hate about a movie. It's that they changed the plot, like the story completely to fit the writer's narrative. And I'm like, fuck, what? Are you kidding me? 
so minor changes before I go to the main change is that they had the Canadian flag that they introduced. Actually, they had the Maple Leaf. And that, that flag was actually introduced 40 years after the events of the movie. The number of stars that the American flag actually has 48 stars instead of the 50. But you know what? Whatever. Those are minor changes. And yeah. for some re- but and then they want freaking costume design, which I'm like, okay, sure. Give me I, that. I don't give a shit. I, I don't give a shit. It's um, very... But the major, the most major egregious thing about this movie is that the writer was a socialist, and he hated the fact that in actuality, it was the 1924 winner was. An English lord, and he wanted to change the fact that the English, like, first of all, he didn't cooperate with them, so I think he was pissed or something, and he changed it to one of the minor, like, one of the common folk, you know? And it's like, if you don't want to, like, he said, if you don't want to, if you, if you didn't like the lord, you know, uh, in, in, what's it called, uh, working with you. Then, you know, change it to another Lord's Lame. Don't change the narrative and make it about the people when that's not the actual fact of the fucking movie, you know? Yeah. And it's it's not the common folk who won the Olympics. It was a fucking Lord's. And so he wants to send the... Because I read about this. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to find if that's an actual fact or not. Is that he wants to show, oh, the common folk can win his stuff as well. And it's like, I don't give a shit. I want a good movie. Yeah. I, I'm usually a stickler for... Um... If you're going to make a historical movie, try and at least make an effort towards being historically accurate. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about your narrative about the common folk and lords or whatever. I don't care. Like, like I said, it's like, and I'm, I'm speaking as a guy, like, you know, who, who notices all of these political in the political climate. We talked about in the heat of the night, Colin's previous episode. And it's like, if the message is ingrained within the movie's narrative, it would make sense. But the problem is that message, the narrative the movie pushes was not true. Like when you base it on a true story, you know what I mean? It's just... It feels icky. Even if the sto- even if the uh, moral of the story is right, it does not give you the right to change what actually happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're undermining any uh, political point you're trying to make when you're just kind of blatantly lying about what happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's just it it, 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 it like so from uh, that point on, I'm like I don't want li- like this movie is already like I don't believe in your narrative because you lied about it. You know, it's yeah. like. I can understand that. It's, it's like what happened. Like it's like what happened with the imitation game. It's like they changed the main character from he was the character was actually supposed to be popular and he's like uh, like uh, well liked between his group and there was no you know friction between him and his superiors. But in the imitation game, that she completely changed that. They made the writer made him an outcast. Uh, there's a lot of friction between him and like uh, and his superiors. And but the thing is, though, you already have a decent conflict. They're fighting the Nazis, you know? What more conflict do you need? And it's like, uh, it's like, whatever. Like, it, it, it just pisses me off because you're changing an amazing idea that a British runner, like this idea of a British runner, you know, being as fast as he can, like setting records and yeah. changing it to uh, the traditional narrative of the, 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 the weak will triumph. And it's like, I don't give yeah. a shit. I mean, this, this, the, the historical guy, like when they throw... You know, I mean, he's he's not nearly in the same league as Usain Bolt, but whenever they bring up like the historical, like this is how f- this is what the fastest man alive was running, you know, like Harold Abrams is on that list. You know, he's very he's at the beginning of that list, and he's not nearly as fast as what people are running now. But like they still show like when they they had somebody like showing 
they had a, a graphic on the screen when Usain Bolt was running. It's like, this is what the fastest person was running 100 years ago. And it's like, that's basically what Harold Abrams was running. And he was setting records then. And uh, now we're way beyond that. But it's still he's still like a historical figure. He's kind of important. And um, yeah, he's actually a hugely respected person within um, England and uh, England sports culture for uh, just like some historical perspective. Right. No. And one of the things that also they changed was the uh, courtyard running scene. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a competition. It was literally just. I think the main. I think the Lord. Uh, uh, the main. The, the, the supposed main character. He just took a run, and that's it. It wasn't this exciting event that everybody in Kaj took. You know. Uh, you know, took part in. Yeah, and opening champagnes at the end of the course is like what that's, is this? That's this? Hollywood uh, coming in and saying we need to spruce this up a little bit so people. It was Britain. It was a British production. It wasn't even Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe maybe then they're uh, doing a little hero gazing or hero worshiping. Uh, but uh, also, side note: the original title was supposed to be was not supposed to be Chariots of Fire. It's supposed to be Runners, which accurately sums up the, my feeling towards the movie. Like the title is boring, should have been boring, you know, to accurate because. But he saw like footage of the old Olympics or for, like where they repurposed an old poem of William Blake, and it's yeah. like, something, 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 and bring me their chariots of fire. So and then he's like, he thought it was his eureka moment, you know. To go back to what I said originally, literally, if you've never seen this movie, all you need to watch is the first like two minutes of them running along the beach to that music, and that is the best part of that film. And, yeah, and, and and it's in no part of the freaking music, and that's it. Honestly, that's it. It is, and it and also by the way that that scene is the the reason that like John Williams doesn't have an Oscar for Raiders of the Lost Ark, because like that scene, like the soundtrack of this film is 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 really dull and really boring outside of that one scene, and meanwhile like <clears throat> Raiders of the Lost Ark to start with why that movie's better. Like that music is iconic as hell because John Williams just cranks out tons of iconic music, and I can't really—I mean, the man has like more Oscars than most humans ever. Um, right, but yeah. he but, probably um, should have gotten um, one for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of the list of John Williams scores, uh, Indiana Jones doesn't come up to my mind. It's a very—it's a really good soundtrack. Like, but I mean. You know, uh, like, you know what? We you know when you say "Oh, John Williams score," like when people when people think of stereotypical John Williams scores, they it, like they get "Raiders of Lost Ark." It doesn't diminish its, um, you know, uh, like it's it's uh, like the like the funness of the soundtrack or however you want to describe it. It's just for me. It's like when you imagine a John Williams score, like out of nowhere, it's the "Raiders of Lost Ark." It's not it's not something that jumps at you, like for example, Star Wars. You know. Or Superman, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Or Superman, yeah. For me, like I like I can hear Raiders of the Lost Ark in my head right now when I just think about it for like two seconds. So that's why I would say that that it was a better score than Chariots of Fire. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I but I thought Chariots of Fire had a more unique score, like because I listened to it on the side while trying to you know do some work and i'm like ah, i enjoyed this it was it was a fun soundtrack to put on the background like it's true the theme. it is the like this film it is super 80s encapsulating and probably that's why 
it might not age as well is because this it just screams 80s with just synth to the max right no but it was it was i think they it it fit it fits the it, like it treads the line between nostalgic and dated you know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And besides, it was like really early '80s because, and the '80s was not didn't go into full swing yet. You know, no. like all the tropes in '80s movies. Uh, again, this movie I think started a lot of those tropes because uh, I don't know where else that's coming from. <laughs> Right, yeah, no, and honestly, like, uh, there's a lot of notes I put in, like, for example, the one-shot scene in the market, and I'm like, what's the point of that one-shot? Usually you do one-shots, you know, to emphasize a narrative point. Like, I know I'm start talking about technicalities here, but um, but it, it's important, because usually when, when you change the, pers- like, the cam, like, the way the cinematography works is because you want to, you know, uh, impress a point upon somebody, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's like, why did you do a handheld one-shot scene at the market? You could have literally just... Because that was the only time when it broke, you know, the cinematography. So for me, it just feels it feels like a sore thumb. And it's, uh, and it's like, why is it there? What's the point? And it's like, it doesn't add, character, it doesn't add any character value. It's like, so, like, the only notable thing about it is just this one-shot and it's handheld, you know? Yeah, I can't really explain that either I, I can't explain a lot of the choices they made in this movie I like I said that you get all those slow motion replays of all the races and I don't really understand why um, you get a lot of shots of the Scottish guy with his head thrown back and his mouth open breathing as he runs and I don't really understand what the director is trying to make me feel while I look at that um, I guess uh, an appreciation of the effort and exertion it takes to run like that but i feel like if you just watch olympic footage of the last you know olympics you you'd probably get a better version of that right no i'm with you but i mean i thought like of the of all the things like i thought the running scenes were you know in my opinion that they're well framed um at least they were you know i'm like oh they grabbed my attention you know on like the quote unquote character development like, I remember, like, at the beginning of the scene when they were trying to connect over lacrosse or something. I have no fucking idea what they were playing in the middle of the that's, halls, and I'm that's like... That's cricket. Cricket? Who gives a shit? I don't care. It's like the, <laughs> Your British listeners like, will be very upset. Oh, no, cricket. Uh, I'm pretty sure my Pakistani friend will be more, be more upset at me. Oh, and, yeah. And that's, uh, and that's jokingly, not fr- realistically. But Jesus, uh, God, this movie. Speaking of, that cricket... That cricket scene actually brings up a, a a serious flaw I have with this movie is for a long part of this movie I thought that uh, Harold's roommate at uh, Cambridge I think is the college they're at his roommate I thought was like the second most important character of the film and it took me a long time to realize while watching it oh the Scottish guy is actually the second character in this film that I should be paying attention to and and realizing that uh, he's some sort of rival or whatnot because the roommate guy gets more screen time and more character development and is supposedly like telling the story through his letters and I was like it really throws you that that guy is actually unimportant and kind of irrelevant and doesn't even get the race at the end because he gets eliminated and it's actually these two other two characters who don't really get a ton of screen time uh, even though they're the main characters i don't feel like i really got to see a ton of like character development 
with either of them. So one of the things that pissed me off about the Oscars that year is that they gave them best original screenplay. A, it's not. Well, I mean, it's original enough because they literally changed the main character. Uh, two, it's not the best screenplay because screenplay is not just dialogue, you know? So first of all, dialogue is not that exciting. It's like, oh, look, uh, look at this improvised character, blah, 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 blah. Even though he's not improvised, he's one of the best universities in England. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, the dialogue is shit. The character development is shit. But also, to your point, the structure of the movie is horrendous because because of the way you, you because of the way the screenplay the screenplay itself the reason why like uh like you're upset i'm upset about the movie that we had a second protagonist and we don't get enough time of that that's a problem that's a screenplay's problem you know and when you get a lot of confusion in what's going on and it's it's just uh. so what this is what pisses me off about the movie is that it won best original screenplay i mean it technically is original because they changed the main character but it's based on true events uh, the structure itself is shit. Like you said, uh, when you when you when you highlighted that, wait a minute, our second protagonist is not getting as much you know time as the friend of our main protagonist, uh, one of the other main protagonists. It's like, and the dialogue does not give me insight to any of these characters. It literally is, I'm British and I'm proud of my country. <laughs> and it's like, I don't care. Um, also, there's that passive-aggressive fight between him and his ment Arab mentor, and it's like, and then the Arab mentor just left him out of nowhere, and it's like, that's your reason for you to leave? What the fuck? It's, uh, it's yeah, and, and they try and and they try and kind of have like character growth through these characters like interacting with the women in their lives. I think like the Scotsman's sister or whatever doesn't want him to run, wants him to focus on being a missionary, and um. Uh, the, the the Jewish guy's fiance girlfriend character um, like tries to help him deal with <clears throat> being pushed out of society or being negatively judged because of his heritage but I don't feel like I mean they, they try and do that in like three conversations and, and I don't feel like you actually see much growth or change in either character so I'm with you. Here's the situation. This, when I was reading up on the Scotsman, his story is really interesting. He was his father was a missionary in China, was born in China, and he grew up, you know, in that environment. Came in, uh, winning uh, winning an Olympic medal or something, and then he went back, died early because of some disease and like you know being a missionary in China. And I'm like, why isn't the movie about that guy? You know, it's like yeah. It's, you could do a biopic. His name is Eric Little. You could do a biopic on Eric Little and everything that happened to him. Um, because besides being a runner, you're right. He was he grew up in China, was a missionary in China, came back to England, did this whole running career, and then he went back to China, and then eventually ends up dead in a Japanese internment camp in China, um, in in, in Jap during World War Two. Right, I remember that. It's yeah. like. So he has a he has a pretty interesting life, and they kind of just breeze by it and just kind of focus only on the running. And I don't know. I wish they focused on like the running. That's my part. I wish they focused on the running. They focused on character. Fucking is like. But they oh, didn't. Man. Oh. They didn't focus on like a, a character. They just kind of like spent a lot of time with like him, kind of trying to decide: Am I a missionary or am I a runner? But they didn't resolve either because he just kind of does both anyway. 
Right, yeah, no, and I'm pretty sure that was a great struggle, you know, that's an amazing struggle of like, do I follow my dreams or do I follow what was said to me? And it's like, it's the idea of that, you know what, I'm gonna follow my dreams at least, you know, let me just win these, this Olympic race and, you know, then do, then go on the path set in front of me, you know? And it's something, it's, it's a great moral, it's not like, uh, it's not, it's, and his story is not about like, yeah, curse you, father, man, it's like, it's him like, you know, accepting his fate, it's like, oh yeah, you know what? I think being a missionary is a very important mission, but I really want to do these Olympics too, and it's way more interesting than, and, and it sucks because I'm pretty sure it's based on a real guy, you know, Harold Abr Abrams, because I mean, I'm trying, because I remember, I think they changed his name too, or am I wrong? I don't believe they changed his name at all. I think they left. Yeah, no, they changed name. the Lord's. I think they changed the Lord's name because I'm. I don't know why I have the impression of they changed the na uh, names of all the protagonists. But no, I'm pretty sure he had. A, you know, I'm pretty sure both of them had a, a struggle in their life. But they give me the boring snippets of their life, and it's like I don't. They don't do a good job of of really giving me giving the viewer a sense of what that struggle actually is and like if you really just watched the movie and you didn't know some of that background information you'd walk away with the sense that Harold um his biggest struggle was convincing this running coach to coach him and then running without him like being allowed in the stadium because he's a quote-unquote professional coach and the, the, uh, the Olympics is still an amateur profession like that that was kind of almost weirdly more of a core uh struggle than him trying to overcome like how society viewed him as someone of 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 the jewish faith and i was like i felt like that was a disservice and also that not only that is that one of the most interesting thing about the movie is that this Jewish runner having struck a relationship with an Arab mentor, you know, it's like that's a very interesting uh, perspective. And the thing is, though, they uh, for some reason, they also wanted to shove in like the mentor being proud of him. And it's like, Harold, my son. And I'm like, wait, is that his father? And I'm like, yeah, Google knows his mentor. I was like, then what the point was the point of the scene? Oh, man, that just that pissed again, me off. more of those script writing to increase the drama uh, this movie <laughs> wait no so, by the way this is not the movie that pissed me off the most by the way but i'm gonna sandwich my pissed offness with you know two movies that i really because uh, of the four other nominees i've seen on golden pond raiders of the lost ark and reds i wanted to see atlantic city but I didn't get the time, unfortunately. Like uh, I was busy. I had uh, I got a new job recently, so it didn't get you know give you much time. But uh, I, I wish I would have seen Atlantic City instead of on Golden Pond. But I'm, uh, whatever. But so we want to talk about a movie that you haven't seen. You know, I want to skip through it. Reds, which is honestly a really really good movie. You know, like uh, it's so Reds is the Warren Beatty written written directed by Warren Beatty. Uh, a movie about the rise of journalist slash political activist later in his life, uh, John Reed. It's about the start of socialism in the United States, and that was during World War One. So it's not like during the time when socialism was popular. It was like it was still an underground movement, which is a very interesting move. Uh, what's it called? Warren Beatty like has this. Uh, like I want to compliment the movie before I give it like you know my notes on it is that. The, half of it is a documentary style, you know, interviews between the witnesses, quote unquote, what they call them in the movie, about the people who actually lived with John Reed at, during the time, you know. 
the, the, the way they tell their stories that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie it was it was very cool and I, I really I really really liked it um, what I liked about the movie is that the different clash of cultures and so the movie chronicles his life literally like it, it's a three hour 15 minute movie and honestly like they could have even though they could have easily cut uh, 30 to 40 minutes of it and nothing would be lost you know five minutes here five minutes there you know um, or ten, and sometimes maybe seven to ten minutes but I think like Warren Beatty did this like unlike the writer of Chariots on Fire uh, Warren Beatty took great cares to show us this character this guy who struggled in his life and you know how he's a journalist and who became a political activist and it, it deals with a lot of moral issues and how different cultures tried to use uh, mistr intentional mistranslation, you know, to push their ideals, thinking, oh, this guy from America agrees with my point of view, and you don't think the character from America, you know, you don't know if the character from America understands what the guy is translating, you know what I mean? So that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie. It's very, like, I caught on it, bef uh, like, early on, like, the movie gave us that idea, like, later in the movie, but I caught on it, and it was a, it was very well, you know, the seed of it was very well put. Um, and uh, like it stars Warren Beatty himself, he who was great, honestly. Uh, it also stars Diane Keaton, also great, and it has supporting characters of Gene Hackman and uh, Nick uh, Jack Nicholson of all people. I'm like, really? really? It's yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool. Like, I don't want to tell. Uh, like, uh, I don't want to really talk about much about the movie. The one of the best things about the movie is that me coming in with. Bl uh, blinded like uh, blinded <laughs> uh, I went in this movie blind and I really really enjoyed it and how like well I just wanted to note how well directed it is and how great care he took like Arabs come into the movie like no more than five minutes of the movie but like the, from the snippets of Arabic that I heard it felt very accurate like the sets and costumes and it's like it's this movie made me respect Warren Beatty a lot, like him. Like it's it's very it's interesting because we're talking about Bonnie and Clyde, the episode that you were on beforehand. Yeah, that was back in the '60s. Yeah, seeing how Beatty evolved as a filmmaker made me appreciate him even more, and it's like, and I love that he he wasn't supposed to be you know the main actor. He was he was like actually gonna give the role to John Lithgow because he looked closer to the main character and. How how John Lithgow's life would have changed completely after this movie, you know? It's it's completely different. But yeah, that would have been quite different. Oh yeah, no, the mood of the movie would be different completely, I think. Um, but yeah, I think Warren, you know, translated the intensity of the character very well. His passion, also Dan Keating. Dan Keating is also is always great in every single one of her movies. Uh, my only problem is that the only thing that I noticed is that like the runtime can get like the movie doesn't pick up pace until maybe the after the 45 50 minute uh, you know point but it, it picks up like like that you know it's like if if you want a decent like an interesting biopic of somebody you might have never heard of before Reds is a very is a very good movie to you know check out sounds intriguing I definitely will try and check it out um, sounds like it's about the pretty early socialist movement in America, right, right around the... Yeah. When it wasn't that very much popular, like I said. Also, right, there's a note, I remember, Mr. Feeney is one of the social leaders, and I'm like, what? That's that's very... <laughs> that is pretty random. <laughs> yeah, no, and he wasn't one, like, one of the prominent social leaders. He was, like, one who was just, you know, screaming, and, you know, like, literally 10 seconds and he left. Interesting. I'll, I'll have to try and track it down and watch it. Oh, yeah, um, I think Warren Beatty, honestly... I mean, he deserves, like, 
I, I, I think Steven Spielberg, like we're going to talk about Rangers of Lost Ark in a minute. Steven Spielberg deserved the directing award more than Warren Beatty, but I think because of the way Beatty combined like all these cultures and the way he shot the film and the way he... But the way this this epic unfolded, I think, I mean, he, uh, this movie is really good. I really, really think of all the, at least of all the awards this year, this was the one, the most deserved one. And and, and this is more to the the political aspect of the of the um, <clears throat> Academy Awards. Um, you know, at, at this point in time, Warren Beatty was. Uh, how do I put it? He was more known, I guess, then. Um, not known, more revered, probably by this point, than Steven Spielberg. I mean, we are now looking at it with, you know, Spielberg has since gone on and done amazing films like Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List and whatnot. From our point of view, but from their point of view, at this point, like all he's done is Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So um, he's kind of a popcorn movie guy, you know, he's, he's, I don't know how, I I wasn't alive then, but I don't know how much he was considered um, an incredible director like he is now, where he's, he's considered some of the, one of the best directors who have ever lived. Well, I mean, he, like both the movie and himself were nominated for Oscars, you know, it's, um, yeah, but as to explaining, uh, kind of explaining some of why Warren Beatty might have won over Spielberg. Oh no, I know why Warren Beatty won over there Spielberg. There are different places think, in their career. I think Raiders of the Lost are like I think since Jaws, like I think since the beginning they appreciated Steven Spielberg. They didn't appreciate him on an Oscar-winning level, but they appreciated him. You know, it's like oh, like of all the popcorn, like the popular movies that people are watching, you're the one who does them the, the most adequate way possible. Um, yeah, it it might be kind of how uh, the Academy would currently sort of view Christopher Nolan. I swear to God, that's what exact example of my head. That's like literally that's I'm like he's literally the Christopher Nolan of his time. Christopher Nolan hasn't made like a serious movie yet. It could it could be changed by like you know uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to honestly. Um, I am as well. Yeah. So um, let's talk. You know what? I've talked. Uh, I, you know, because I've been gushing about Red. You know what? Let me let you gush about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was, you know, my my father introduced it to me and my brother when we were very little, and it's one of my most favorite movies ever. And um, it, it's it's just so much fun um, from start to finish. You know, you, you have an action hero who's delivering all the quips. He gets to fight Nazis, which is always fun because they're just like the the best bad guy in the world. Yeah, you don't uh, feel bad about scenes. punching them, Internet. No one feels bad about punching Nazis. If <laughs> you hear that, Internet, Nazis should be punched. Anyways, continue. Exactly, and and then there's so many scenes that are iconic, like even little scenes, like the fight. Um, you know when they when they when Indiana Jones and and Marion go to steal the plane to fly out of there, and there's the bald mechanic, the just huge hulking mechanic, and like that scene is iconic. That fist fight around the around the airplane as it circles around, like that's <clears throat> that's pretty crazy. Um, there's the, there's also stuff you know the funny scene where the 
where they're fighting through this the the streets of Cairo, and this guy shows up with a giant sword and twirls it around, and is like, "All right, Indy, let's fight. All you got is a whip," and he just pulls out his pistol and shoots the guy. It's like this this movie is just so much fun and shapes so much how we see action heroes to this day. Oh yeah, no, I and, believe that. Um, I don't like I, Harrison Ford is like he is literally like the reason uh why we have main characters that are you know quippy or sarcastic or or like any of that like he 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 cemented the idea that a main character should be someone that does is like is in a serious situation but is not taking the situation seriously get it because he's so cool he doesn't take the situation seriously yeah and that's the other thing where and i feel like this has gotten kind of lost with our action movies is that indiana jones is a scientist fundamentally like he, he's a guy who knows his history he knows his his craft he's not just an action hero running around punching and shooting people he's actually trying to put the pieces together to figure out this historical puzzle at where the arc is actually located and i felt i feel like that was really important and really cool and for me sparked a love of history that still goes on to this day and I wish we had more action heroes like him. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it sparked a lot of love for history and people, I know it's a bit misguided for people to say, oh, hey, like nobody, like nobody goes into geology and thinking they're going to be Indiana Jones, but you're right, like they made the idea of, you know, exploring history fun. And one of the things that I love about this movie is that it's not B-grade throwback. It is A-plus a plus grade throwback. It's somebody who grew up loving this shit and making good movies. It's like Quentin Tarantino, you know, like watching all these uh, old movies that they're literally made to be disposable. But then somebody loved them so much, and he made, you know, uh, like his love letter to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Raiders of the Lost Ark is definitely a love letter to those old pulp action hero. Um, comics and serials and radio shows and all the stuff that like my dad steven spielberg grew up with and he translated it into this movie that is literally one of the most fun movies you can sit down and watch and um this is one of the rare instances where i don't like a movie as much as everybody else does but I, i'm like yeah it should be in the pantheon of best movies ever made yeah, and when you compare it to Chariots of Fire, you're, you're really looking at it from the lens of 2017. It's like, wait, how did Chariots of Fire beat this? Right, no, but we have the power of hindsight, you know? And As I said in my opening anecdote, they had the power of, like, the present. Raiders of the Lost Ark was in the movie theater for a full year. Yeah, but let's not forget it was the Oscars. And remember, the Oscars at the time, like... Like everybody thinks the Oscars are in, are insular nowadays. Imagine at the time where Twitter and you know, uh, uh, you know, social media movements did not affect their policies. They were, I think, the most insular group at the time. And uh, and I think at I think everybody like uh, agrees that the Oscars a little bit lost their way by the start of the eight mid uh, early to mid eighties. That's when they started becoming slightly, you know, out of touch. Yeah, you might be. So, so they dipped, they dipped back into relevance into the 90s, but then, like, you know, that's when they started not rewarding risk 
movies, risky movies. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I just you watch these movies and like Raiders of the Lost Ark, they have it's just you, like even down to just better camera work, you know? No, exactly. No, that's what the second point I wanted to talk about. No, no, that's why one of the things I wanted to talk about that Steven Spielberg start like started his thing of transitioning from a close up to a wide to uh, over the shoulder camera. It's like he's very like th that's his style now. He, like he perfected it in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, by the time Saving Private Ryan sorry rolled out, he perfected it. Uh, but at the time he started it, and for me watching the movie again, it's like, huh? I can see Steven Spielberg, you know, starting becoming. A, direct, a filmmaker, you know, like Jaws had, like you know, decent. Like I'm not gonna disparage Jaws; it's it changed the game, yada yada. But I think Steven Spielberg started his, like, put his foot down as a filmmaker at the start, like beginning with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and I'm just saying, like, if you watch Chariots of Fire, it's still shot like an old uh, movie in, in this old style, especially like those interior scenes where the camera doesn't really work that what like doesn't move that much um there's i i felt like there's some soft focus stuff that i didn't really understand i mean it's not and about you know i feel like you watch moving. raiders of lost ark and it looks like a modern movie it no, it's acts not about, like a modern movie the camera right, right. moves around like one right no i'm not I'm, it's not really about the movie the camera itself not moving it's that the shot itself is not kinetic that's a lot of people are saying is like a lot of people when they people when people like when they say oh I don't see a lot of movement in the movie is that they mean what happens in the frame is not as attention grabbing and it's like it's it's not well composed that's what I mean it's like that's one of the things that's why I was like I enjoyed the running scenes because there's some some movement to it you know the kinetic scenes uh, but uh, it doesn't you know it doesn't compare ever freaking ever to Raiders of Lost Ark and I and... think. Yeah, again, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I cannot recommend it more. If you haven't seen it somehow, you should be seeing it because it is a part of our pop culture. It is just inherent to things. It's, you know, part of the reason that I hate snakes and I can totally agree with Indiana Jones when he said snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? Like, I can totally agree with that. <laughs> and just quotes like that are part of our pop culture lexicon and, and, and you almost have to see this movie to, to understand some of a lot of the references that are right. out there. Um, but I, I seen this movie before at Indiana Jones, you know, because it's on TV a lot, even, even in the middle East, it's still on TV a lot because it's, it's easy, uh, TV fodder, you know, like, Oh, Indiana Jones, everybody loves this, uh, shove it in there. So it's like, yeah. So, uh, you know, I said I'm gonna sandwich, like, I'm gonna make this, uh, a, a, the reverse of a stitch sandwich, where we have, uh, shit, then decency, and then shit. Uh, so, the last movie I'm gonna talk about today, I'm Golden Pond. What a fucking piece of shit! I hate this movie! I hate it, I hate it, I hate it! <laughs> I'm gonna repeat Roger Ebert, even though Roger Ebert really liked this movie, but I hate it! Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. This movie gave Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn their Oscars. Well, Catherine Hepburn already won Oscars. It's like she is like well regarded between like, you know, in between uh, film critics, the, the audience and the Oscars. But Henry Fonda, this is the movie that got Henry Fonda's Oscar. Oh my God. Okay. So the most like, okay. So this is the plot of the movie. It's the plot is about an old couple who own a lake house on Golden Pond. Get it? Get it? Get it? Oh, God. That's almost as bad as one of your ponds. Yeah, and, and they visit every summer. And, and then one particular year, their daughter visits her fiancé and his son. 
uh, her new fiance and her son. The most notable part of the movie is not the movie itself, is that Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn did not attend their ex their, the ceremony. So they won the freaking Oscar and they weren't even there. Why? Do you know why they didn't yeah. go? Old age, obviously. And yeah, I'm pretty sure none of them thought, oh, this is gonna give me the Oscar, you know. Also, Henry Fonda dies six months after the Oscars. Really? What? Yeah, it's like, no, Henry Fonda. So was it a, an Oscar given <laughs> okay. as sympathy, maybe? Maybe, because this, because this movie is about, like, this old guy wrestling with his dementia and, you know, have a strained relation between him and his daughter, but I don't give a shit. Like, honestly, because, they're like, okay, so in Chariots of Fire, I didn't give a shit, but this one have pissed me off because they're written like idiots you know the kid was like like there was like there they, like what during one scene one of the movie like Henry Fonda was almost catching like oh I'm catching a fish oh and then uh the kid in excitement like the fiance's son 13 year old is like San Francisco friend sorry, no, sorry I'm not trying to repeat that San Fantastic what yes and I'm like oh this did you encounter any kids did you see any kids it's like I'm, what what? I... Okay, so in the sequence of events of the movie, way before that, way before, at the 10 minute mark of this movie, like, they were going, like, they were going, you know, on their boat, trying to explore the lake, uh, you know, to have some, in a quiet time, and then the speedboat, you know, closes in them, and they're, like, you know, quote-unquote, too fast. And then Henry, F like, the character of Henry Fonda gives them the middle finger and says, what's up? And then uh, Catherine Hepburn does the same thing. And I stopped the movie in that moment, and I just facepalmed. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> these, these Hollywood icons, these amazing people, these movies that, even though I don't watch a lot of classic movies, but I've seen 12 Angry Men, I've seen Grapes of Wrath, I've seen a lot of Catherine Hepburn's movies, and it's like these people that I respect, these amazing actors, these amazing people. And this is, this is Henry Fonda's last movie. I'm like, a part of me died, like, I'm not kidding you, I'm not kidding when I say a part of me died when I saw that scene. I'm like, like, well, I'm trying to imagine the director asking Henry fucking Fonda, like, okay, so in this scene, you're gonna wave off your middle finger at the speedboat and say, buzz off! Did the director realize how shitty that moment was for both him and Henry Fonda? Uh... Did Henry Fonda's body re realize like, wait, I won an Oscar for this and just gave up on him and just died. And it's like, let me, like, uh, uh, like I know I'm not going to die. Like, I don't want any moment lower than this. I'm just going to give up right now. And that's why he died. It's like, his body's like, fuck this. It's Jesus fucking Christ. Oh! Yeah, I, I got nothing, man, except that um, maybe they. Okay, uh... so in this movie. Movie's reasoning, like, okay, so this was a play. This is just some random boring play, and then somehow Jane Fonda took wind of it, bought it because it reminded her of a, a strained relationship between her and her dad. And the problem with that, uh, okay, so I'm like, okay, that's noble, but the problem is that there's no interaction between you and him except maybe a fifth of the movie, and most of the time it's like, oh, daddy, like, he doesn't like me. I want to be your friend. <laughs> I'm gonna do something. I'm like, ah! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm screaming. I, uh. I I can say maybe that that um that <clears throat> that award was perhaps a uh, the equivalent of a lifetime achievement award. 
I don't know if they were handing those out back in the in the eighties, but maybe that's. Well, I mean, they were handing them back in seventy four with uh, what's his face? Uh, I forgot his name. The one over Al Pacino. Yeah, I mean, that might be the case with this one because you know Henry Fonda was amazing in The Grapes of Wrath and Twelve Angry Men, but I haven't personally seen Golden on Golden Pond, um, but I did ask my dad about it um because i knew it was uh in this award ceremony alongside of raiders of the lost ark and uh he he didn't have uh great memories of it and didn't really understand why the character the, the people won the oscars for it he just he, he didn't he didn't say no and the music jesus fucking christ I'm, i want to remember the movie the music it's like Okay, imagine the most sappy music for a Lifetime movie about a father connecting, like an old man trying to connect with, you know, this young kid who's trying to understand his life and his daughter. And it's like, and it's like, like on piano. And it's like, this movie, like, I swear, like, every time I remember it, it like, my, like, I go into a fit of rage. Like, right, like, right I am right now. It's like, this fucking movie! <laughs> <laughs> also, 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 Henry Fonda's character connects with a 13-year-old kid because the 13-year-old kid, like, he, first of all, he doesn't talk like a kid, ever, even in the 80s, like, this kid is the most unrealistic kid, like, even if I saw it back in the 80s, I'm like, that's the most unrealistic kid I've ever seen, it literally is how an adult thinks a 13-year-old kid talks, he's like, yeah, man, we cruising chicks, and it's like, what does cruising chicks mean, like, you know, trying to court them, and it's like, oh, well, back in my, like, and then the old man is, like, blunt, and, you know, like, talking down to kids, because he thinks, like, other kids, because he thinks it's old, and, and, and him and the 13-year-old son of the fiancé bond over him using the word bullshit, because the kid kept saying, oh, yeah, this is bullshit, I don't like it, because, okay, so part of the plot is that Jane Fonda, you know, she came into the movie, like, way late into the game. I'm like, okay, so this is where the strained relationship starts. Like, no, she's like, oh, my father doesn't connect with me. And then she leaves the movie with her fiancé and go to Brussels and just leaves the kid there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's what? about the grandfather connecting with his kind of grandson. Uh, said, apparently, and then it's like, he kept saying bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. And he was like, you like saying this word bullshit a lot, don't you? Like and then the kid said something about like being unhappy and then the old man as of like you know the moment of aha this is the connecting tissue said bullshit and I'm like oh my god oh my god this movie uh, that's almost a Hollywood trope now especially in comedies where you have the old guy like connecting with the youth not Oscar nominated movies not Oscar nominated <laughs> movies Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> This movie, I'm like, I'm banging on my table, god damn it! Ah! So... I've never been upset, I've never been upset with a movie, Oscar nominated movie since The Crying Game. Wow, that's... Oh my god, this movie! This fucking movie, okay, so then, then to try to, like, they have no conflict. Like, I swear to god, like, they have no conflict, like, they're, they're trying to create conflict out of them having differing views, but it obviously feels generated, like, out of nowhere, like, just fabricated, and then... Oh, they bend, they bond over, you know, uh, fishing or whatever. And then the very last conflict is like, oh, the fi this the ship like hitting one of the rocks and breaking down. And then Henry Fonda's character flies like all, all over the side and then stranding on a rock. And then Catherine Hepburn saves them. And I'm like, this movie did not need this. It, it, it literally like the characters did not change after this. 
like if this was the bonding experience you know it would make sense but they were like him and the grandson right like not the grandson the the grandson-in-law i guess i have no idea how to uh because because uh, uh, jane fonda's character is marrying to uh, marrying the fiance and that's her son-in-law mm -hmm. i guess or like i have no idea or foster son or stepson i have no idea but anyways um yeah so step grandson that's the correct terminology i guess so yeah if it was if that boat breaking and them standing on the rock that was their bonding experience it would make sense to have it but it doesn't and i'm like i want because like i tried to read up on it and i'm like how do they translate the boat scenes them crashing into the stage you know it's like and it's okay and what oh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my words over this fucking movie sounds pretty bad Sounds like I will definitely pass on that one. No, I honestly, I like, I, like for me, the only memorable moment of it is like me, my, like only thing, maybe my, the part of my soul died when Henry found that, you know, like I said, waved his middle finger at the speedboat, was off, and it's like, uh, uh, this movie. But okay, so okay, this is the climactic scene, by the way, Colin. Mm -hmm. Jane Fonda comes in. Like, after a trip with Brussels, she marries a dentist. By the way, he's a dentist. If you didn't notice, they pushed that in the movie for, like, in the, in the two minutes that they're, they're on screen. <laughs> uh, and she's like, you know, I've never done a black flip because I was a fat kid. And he's like, oh, it's for me. And what's it called? Apparently, like, it's a big deal to her. It's like, I'm going to do a backflip. And she goes in and she does a backflip. And that's supposed to be the climactic end to the movie. And it's uh, that's before. I'm like, what? Uh, it sounds kind of anticlimactic, honestly. And it's like, is that really a character moment? And that's how they bond over? Uh, okay, so side note, that's maybe one of the only positives in the movie. J Jane Fonda is in a bikini. And she looks mighty fine, even in her. In, uh, she was 45 at the time. Huh doesn't sound so yeah that great <laughs> i might skip this film yeah i'm sorry I, like I, I didn't want to end it on this uh shitty note but actually i kind of do you know it's like it, it feels cathartic to shit on this piece of shit movie well and you know what i'm glad i'm glad the screenwriter and the director did not do anything if you it. should get anything out of this podcast it's a desire to go see raiders of the lost ark well i mean also <laughs> watching reds yeah um uh, it's one of the it's it's honestly is i'm kind of surprised because it doesn't get as much attention as it should have mm -hmm. you know it sounds like a, a kind of a hidden gem i i had never heard about it before uh looking at this um academy awards ceremony uh beware of the long run time and also that it doesn't really pick up until like i said the 45 50 mark but trust me there's a lot of elements in it and some like a lot of decent performances like you go huh it's 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 a good watch uh, when you want to, like, if you want to sit down and actually watch a movie. It's not a good background movie, you know? Mm -hmm. I can understand that. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to me ranting and ranting and <laughs> ranting on, on Golden Pond. So, Colin, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RaccoonHale, only spelled with one C. Uh, you can see me normally just bothering other people and sometimes uh, ranting about the insanity that is our world. Oh, wow. So poetic. And so, I mean, yeah, you can, uh, if you've discovered this podcast through iTunes, you can check my site where there's uh, one of my, uh, my shorts and that's it, www.twoagery.com. And also follow me on Twitter, same handle, at 2 Jerry. 
uh yeah thank you for listening and uh hopefully we can uh, uh, hopefully after this we can see a better oscar winner (laughs) yeah hopefully i I have some ideas oh yeah all right so colin say goodbye to the listeners goodbye listeners Bye.